What's good, sports fans? Welcome to another edition of the Sports Q&A Podcast. I'm Q. And I'm A, and we're on the eve of what some sports fans count as their Super Bowl. And if you just so <laughs> happen to be a fan of the Detroit Lions or some other struggling franchises, this may be your Super Bowl. That's right. Tomorrow night is the NFL Draft. We got a lot to cover. We're not even going to jump into the draft because we're in the midst of the NBA playoffs. First round is 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 uh, finishing up. Uh, got our matchups in the East already. Uh, but we're going to talk about uh, some potential. Well, not even potential. What's the fallout from the OKC Portland series where you had, even though Portland was higher seeded team, people figured that OKC could be a team that could challenge uh, either the top teams in the West uh, with uh, Houston or Golden State or just give them a push, but they just really just got put to bed. But I'm not even going to make people relive everything that happened last night or in the series. I want to talk about... What is the outtake from this? I mean, are these two franchises trending differently? Now, the one thing that before you answer this, I want to preface this with you making sure that you do not take into account the fact that Kevin uh, Kevin Durant is gone, because that did change the trajectory. But let's just look at a small snippet of time. And are these two teams going in opposite directions? Um, I have to say, yes, this uh, OKC was a team a couple of years ago that you figured um, was in a good position. Mm-hmm. They had a couple of very good players ahead. Westbrook, they had Durant, and eventually they replaced him with Paul George, who was a multi-year all-star, even a guy that was an early-year MVP candidate in 2018-19 season. Um, you figured, okay, this team has the firepower. You had they they added a couple more pieces. Um, even Adams has grown into a player that has become very serviceable and understands his role and executes it very well. So you figured, okay, this team should find itself entrenched in the top three, maybe four of the West for a very long time. But what we're seeing is a team that is led by a player with, I don't even know if you can call it an identity crisis, but he, he's just trying, he's struggling to figure out where he fits in. And that's Russell Westbrook. Um, we, we've heard his issues about interacting with fans and those problems, but these issues that I'm talking about, are strictly located on the court. Um, he still finds ways to struggle with the outside shot. And, I mean, I, I saw the conversations all throughout Facebook today. This is a guy that, I mean, we hype him up for the triple-doubles, but is this like an empty stat for him now? Because most of them come at a, uh enhanced view and are they really beneficial to the success of the team? Whereas you look at Portland, you have somebody in Dame Lillard who's growing into one of 
who I've always liked as a player and felt he was one of the top point guards in the league despite mm-hmm. the lack of respect. But now you have CJ McCollum coming into his own Jokic, even though he was he was lost towards the end of the season and will miss the whole playoff. You have a bunch of players on Portland. Portland is the pity of a bunch of role players accepting their role and being the best at it. You have Al Farouk Aminu. You have uh, it's a it's a couple of guys. Even uh, Rodney Hood, who struggled in in Cleveland that uh, last year with LeBron, now is, is finding his niche. You had uh, Seth Curry coming into his zone, so you figure this team will let something major happens again with a, a serious injury. They have the planted. Uh, OKC as that team that should always be in that third or fourth slot. It's not higher depending on what happens with Houston and Golden State moving forward. Yeah, it's it's a difficult pill to swallow um, because of the stats that Russ has, has put up. I think what is the real determining factor, though, is the fact that Russ plays with a chip on his shoulder, and I think that chip is attached to uh, KD leaving, uh, Harden leaving, and the success that he's had uh, in Houston, and him feeling that he needs to prove himself. Now, again, the triple doubles, you cannot deny the triple doubles. You can't deny the great performances, but as great as that has been in the regular season, Russ, I mean, if you just look at the last five years, um, they didn't make the playoffs in uh, 14-15, lost in the conference finals in that great season, um, lost in the conference finals to uh, Golden State in 15-16, 16-17, lost the first round, 17-18, lost the first round, 18-19, lost the uh, first round. Now you're seeing that this is becoming a recurring theme. And I'm not going to blame it all on Russ. I think Russ gives everything he has out there, but I also think that Russ is doing so much that he has little left in the tank. The argument that people use for James Harden in the past, I think is now a a valid argument for Russell Westbrook when it comes to as much as he feels he has to do. And what he feels he has to do is an argument that we talked about way back in the day with Matt Stafford, and if you don't feel that you trust your teammates to do things, then you are going to be, you're going to feel that you have to do it by yourself. And I think that he feels that he has to do it by himself. Yes, it didn't help him that that Paul George had a banged up shoulder, but you have to find a way to be as effective as you can be, but to make sure that your teammates are involved so that you can be the best overall team. And I think that's where they fall short in that situation. Whereas you talked about Portland and Portland played as a team, even though Dame averaged 33 points in the series, he still involved his play, his teammates in every aspect of what they were doing. So yeah, he had the hot hand. He was in fuego uh, last night. He had the buzzer beater last night. But if you just look at how he played and look at how the team played, they're not sitting around watching. He's not Pat, uh, Patting a rot for 23 seconds of the 24 uh, shot clock. 
he is being uh, he's being a point guard and he's being a true leader. And now, and, he, and I'm gonna preface this statement with this: Yes, he gets every should get every accolade that he should get regarding the first round series and how he performed. But guess what? It is just the first round, and that's what people mm-hmm. fail to realize: the first round and in, in NBA playoffs should just be preliminary. But people view his performance, and granted, it's what you have you done for me lately, because people will forget about his performance if they get mollywhopped in this second round. So the thing is, uh, the thing is, is that you have to realize that it's 16 games to win a championship. You know, you can play up to 28 games if you go to game seven every time. So the thing mm-hmm. that you have to recognize and have to understand is that it's part of it. You cannot uh, give Dame this crown of the playoffs after a first-round win over a team that you should have beat based on seeding alone, a 3-6 matchup. Um, because the thing is, is that, yeah, you averaged 33 for the first series, but, you know, Russ, as, uh, in two uh, three years ago, Russ averaged 37. They still lost. <laughs> but right. the thing is, is that you cannot go through with this first round and act like you're crowning them. But I think the trajectory of uh, the Trailblazers having these guys that I, I I would say are peaking at the same time. And I say peaking, I would say within a two, three year range, this is their window. They, they finally got this taste. They've lost in the first round the last four years. They got this taste with, um, they got this taste with, the victory playing how they are. So yeah, they may lose in the second round, but this is very reminiscent of how teams became successful and became championship caliber teams. Also 30 years ago, because you had to earn your way up and people forget about it. And I think that may be a way that Portland can come and fly in under the radar. Yeah. People going to talk about this right now, but literally this time next week, nobody's going to be talking about what happened in round one. They're not. So the thing is, is can they utilize this to surprise somebody? Because them winning in the next round should be a shot, depending on the matchup. So I like this. This is that parody that people hate. This is, dare I say, the LeBron effect, because this had an effect, a real definitive effect on both conferences. Um. And this is that effect where that parity is great, where now you're seeing teams and players elevate themselves. Um, now, if you're a defensive-minded player, I mean, a fan, you you hating this right now because it's like uh, just running gun rec league out there half the time. But it is it is what it is. But I just like the way that Portland has uh, they've put themselves together as a team. You have a clear, definitive leader, and. They are playing team ball. I don't know how OKC can get better without getting another big three. Um, because unless uh, you can get more production or someone else evolves or you luck up in the draft, what's going to occur? They're going to be middle of the pack. They're not going to get in the top four. And then it's up in the air. Um and it's hard. And it's hard. I mean, go ahead. I'm looking at last night's uh, box score. 
Mm-hmm. You see Daniel Schroeder play 33 minutes, Jeremy Grant 42, Stephen Adams 29, Paul George 42. Mm-hmm. But here's the, the interesting numbers. Nerlens Noel, 8. Uh, I don't know which Morris twins, and I think this is Marquise Morris. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Marquise Morris only played four minutes last night. That's unacceptable for a guy that we all thought when they signed him was going to play a significant role within their rotation. Mm-hmm. You figure he's a guy that if you decide to go play small ball, you can put him at that five position and, and have some flexibility or move Grant out and, and rotate it and do some things, he never stepped up. So this is the question I'm going to have to ask of you because the one constant over the past five, six years has been the coaching. Is it time to move on from Billy Donovan? I say yes, mm-hmm. but I want to hear your thoughts in a second because I, I just think that he's gotten them as far as he can get them, and maybe we're at the point where – Maybe not Paul George, maybe not Westbrook, but some of these other guys aren't really getting anything out of his coaching and his preparation. And and we've seen it before. Coaches that have success have a ceiling. We saw it in Detroit with uh, Rick Carlisle. He got that team to a certain level, and it was like, okay, you can only get us so far, so you got to go. So, Because I think fans – and media have an issue sometimes when coaches with winning records get fired. Mm-hmm. But shoot, we saw last year, uh, Dwayne Casey. Yep. The, the, the coach of the year gets fired because Toronto felt he got them to a ceiling, and in order to get break through that glass, they had to do something different. Now, Toronto did a bunch of things different, so we, the variable, there was no constant variable, so we won't be able to tell – if they do have success and if they do make it to the, the uh, Eastern Conference Finals, was it because they replaced Dwayne Casey or was it because they brought in, uh, uh, they traded DeMar DeRozan for uh, different player types, the rotation, all this stuff. There are some things that you have to ask, but going back to OKC, I think it's time to send Billy Donovan back to college. So that's a very interesting uh point to consider uh one of our viewers on Facebook and we are on Facebook uh live if you want to tune in uh oh I almost lost everything sorry Facebook live uh we are on Facebook live uh if you want to ask questions uh Terrell stated that OKC can't win anything with Westbrook um I don't think that's necessarily true I just think you have to have a coach that has to decide how they're going to use Westbrook and use him the right way um, I almost want to say I'm, I'm in agreement with you probably at 49.998 that it's time for Donovan to go. But the other thing is that, um, this is a new makeup of a team that he has. I mean, yes, you have got Paul George last year at the trade deadline. Yes, you re-assigned him. Um, but this team is still not complete. It still has holes. It still has gaping aspects. And I think that um, if Russ had more faith in a player on his team other than Paul George, say another wing that that's a three-point specialist or another slasher that he felt more confident in sharing the peel with, 
then you may see a different Westbrook. You may see a still a triple double, but it's less points or less shots that he puts up, but more assists. Um, but I, th- I mean, you have a valid point. I mean, I look at like you said, Carlisle with the Pistons. You look at, um, you look at uh, Case uh, Toronto uh, with Casey. It's definitely you. Uh, there is a, a ceiling I think you can get with a certain type of coach. Uh, with that, who would that option be? You have to have somebody that is going to have to be. And it's rumored that he's not stern with Russ and Russ has to do it, but you have to have somebody that the players respect automatically. And if you don't have that, um, then that becomes problematic. You you mentioned Carlisle and, and uh, Larry Brown was the, the coach after Carlisle, even though players did not agree with Larry Brown and had uh, as rigid a, of a system that he had, they respected him. And they bought in eventually, and it led to what you wanted to lead to, which is a championship. So, yeah, it, I mean, I wouldn't blame OKC management if they feel, felt that that was the option that they needed to go. But I don't think it's necessary. I think that you, I think they're still missing pieces. I think even if you switch a coach, they're still missing pieces. Um, yeah, you have a top, I don't know what Russ would be, top five to eight player in the league. But is that enough? Is that a com- complete team? Not compl- playing in today's NBA when you have guys that can score at will, that's not that's not going to do it. So, And Russ is going to slow down at some point in time playing how he plays. He plays balls to the wall for 48 minutes. Majority of the time is literally 48 minutes. But it, it catches up with them. And I just think they need to find a different game plan. And yeah, if if Donovan is not willing to switch up the game plan and try to do something different, then guess what? Yeah, you're going to have to switch up and find another coach. But I think that he should get one more year. I'm not sure where their their cap is. But to be able to find some pieces, whether it's young, veteran, that they can put together, that they can have a more complete team instead of when Russ doesn't do it, we don't show up. And that's where they stand right now. So I'm um, I'm I'm watching with a keen eye what Portland does, even if the, I, I'm expecting them to lose, regardless of who they play in the next series. Uh, nah, I I just I disagree. That. I said they, now. Granted, they do get the luck. They do have the luck of the draw on their side of it because they do avoid Houston. Looks like they'll avoid Houston and uh, and Golden State. But I still I. The thing is, you look at this, and I'm looking at this as a progression. Losing four straight years in the playoffs. Oh, excuse me. I said first round, the four straight years lost. Sorry, in 15, uh, 16, they won the first round, lost in the second. But with that, the mentality they have is almost like the mentality that Pistons fans are having uh, getting in and that being enough. They got over that hump. That's a celebratory hump. That's the equivalent to some people of an Eastern Conference championship, especially guys who've been there that long and you're not, you don't know how to handle that success. Now, granted, they may come out and ball, but I'm just saying in my eyes, seeing what they're doing, because they'll probably play Denver, right? Yeah. Yeah, so they'll play Denver. 
So the thing is, I just see that. I just see Denver being able to the matchups that Denver has against them. Them, I'm not saying it's going to be a, a four, uh, you know, a sweep, but I just think that that they're still building. But I think they're still built. Uh, dare I say, for tough to be able to get over that hump later on and have more lo- uh, a longer level of stability while Denver is still young. So I don't know. I mean. I'm saying this right now. I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong again. Uh, but yeah. So before we move on to this, the next portion, talking about the Eastern Conference, Terrell said a coach can make a good decision, but Westbrook got to execute. That's true. But the other last thing I'm going to say about this is West, you're depending on Westbrook and Westbrook alone. Guess what? You're going to lose. It, that's just the bottom right. line. That's the bottom line. So let's go on over to the East. And we're going to. You spend five minutes talking about each of uh, the next matchups that's already been set with Boston Celtics versus the Milwaukee Bucks uh, and the Toronto Raptors versus the Philadelphia 76ers. Let's go to, uh, to me, I think the most intriguing uh, – uh, these are actually two really good second-round series. I can't even put one over the other. But let's look at Toronto and Philly. So the first thing that I have as far as things to consider, things to view in this series, is Embiid's health. Now, Embiid, to me, it's always a running joke with me. Embiid, Embiid still has not played a full NBA season in my eyes. Uh, with taking days off or conditioning or rest or uh, what is the thing? Uh, what do they call it? What do they call it when LeBron was off? Something management. Uh, oh, load management? Yeah, load management, which is hilarious to me. Uh, just the name alone. But with that, he can be an unstoppable force, but he's not healthy. Um, you know, it's a, it's almost in the last couple games of the series, it was a day-to-day whether he was going to play, and he set out game three. So the issue is how healthy can he be? Um, because he's going to be needed to dominate in this game, and if he pushes himself too hard, it could be a situation where you are, it's a mixed bag of results because you don't know if he's going to be there. You don't know what kind of production he's going to give. So it's kind of hard to read because at this point, he he has to be close to be playing the max number of minutes and games in his career. And is he going to hit the wall? Because to me, nobody else may not say it, but endurance is a factor and a concern for me with Joel and B. And I think that his injury, his health is going to be a key determining factor of how this series ends up. Yeah, um, I have to agree with you. Uh, just looking at that closeout game versus uh, Brooklyn, and this might have been because they were in control. He only played 20 minutes, but he maximized those 20 minutes. He was 9-18 from the field, 23 points, 13 rebounds. So if he's able to kind of uh, their head coach is able to monitor his minutes a lot better and mm-hmm. spread them out. Um, he has to, he might be able to find that effectiveness, but like you said, it's still a matter of being healthy because if you're not good enough to play when it really matters, and that's under the four minute mark, uh, the, the final four minutes of the first half, uh, the fourth quarter, then you're kind of nullifying those those key moments uh, in between. So, like you said, he has to be healthy because I'm looking at the record of that team. 
And then you also have to figure uh, Jimmy Butler is going to come back. And he, I think he should be a little bit motivated because he sees he's on the cusp of something he hasn't done in his career. Mm-hmm. But I, I just think uh, they have um, that's too much firepower with Toronto. But also with Toronto, I'm worried about uh, Kyle Lowry. We saw him disappear the first couple, that first game, resurface. But now that he's facing a, a, a more talented Philadelphia team, is he going to go ghost again? Yeah, I, that's ironic that you put it on on here. I I I don't think I gave you all my notes, but what I have under here, are Kyle Lowry, will he be ghost or will he be Jamie St. Patrick? We don't know. <laughs> we don't know which way that he's going to turn. I mean, that donut looms large and what people expect for him and his team is going to need for him to carry his load. Um, he has nobody else to blame on this but himself and he can be productive. Uh, so I think that's the biggest thing. The other thing is Kawhi. Um, this is a multi-tiered aspect with Kawhi. You know, can Toronto do enough for him to stay? Um, but he is, you know, five five two player he can do it all is this his time to shine and could this actually be the gateway for him winning this series or playing well in this series uh for him to return to toronto yes um i just think when you look uh, at the the opposition you're probably going to have jenny butler and um tobias harris Checking him, so he's going to have he's going to have to play defense. Whereas against Orlando, who was there? Three, uh, Jonathan Isaac, which really isn't much of a. I'm not going to say a fourth, but he's not there yet. So he could he was able to kind of have not so much pressure mm-hmm. on that side of the ball. Um, whereas now you, he's going to have to guard depending on which which two of those guys are playing the best. I guarantee if it's one, he's gonna switch off on the if he's gonna if if Tobias gets hot, he's gonna start checking him. If Jimmy gets hot, they're gonna switch on him because he's the best defense, the best defensive player in the Eastern Conference is not the lead as far as on the wing. Mm-hmm. So how is that gonna affect him when it comes down to stretch moments? And it was very good to see uh Siakam come into his zone. He had a lot of good games this playoff. Um had a 30-point game, game three, um, effective in the shooting. Target line had a 16-point game, had two 24-point games. So I think his evolution, if he could keep on that, uh, the escalation as a player, that gives them another guy that they can count on to get buckets if, for some reason, uh, Lowry goes goes cold again. Because you can't, while I think he, he might be over it, you can't ex- – you have to hope for the best and expect the worst. That's true. That's true. I'm, we're going to go over to the other side of the bracket in the in the East. Uh, I'm just going to go over a couple of things and let you do it. You're going to have to have like a hard 60 seconds once I get done to give your side. But the thing is, can the Greek freak, freak be as uh, – effective as he was in the, the Detroit series, which was ridiculous. Um, 
But uh, Boston, hard times. You know, now they, they're like uh, the get-along. They were the get-along game during the regular season. Now they one big happy family uh, in the playoffs. Seem like they're gelling. But what's going to happen when, you know, something, you know, gets underneath their skin? Are they going to gel together? Or are they going to go ahead and be just out the box and be how they were and, uh, you know, or appeared to be uh, throughout the regular season? The Kyrie effect. This team was built a different way than Kyrie, uh, than with Kyrie. And him playing his way changes how everybody else played. It's evident of how they played last year and how they're playing this year. They could be even more powerful this year uh, if they learn to figure that out. Uh, Bledsoe, this dude was a killer, a bulldog in the paint, getting in the hole, uh, 10 feet in, killing the Pistons. Can he continue to do that? I'm going to give you – you have one minute and 50 seconds before we go to break, Q. Go ahead and give us your breakdown of this. The the scary thing – you brought up two, two key points. Uh, can Boston slow down the Greek feet? I don't think so. And looking at throughout the whole Indiana series, they started the, the big man tandem of Aaron Baines and Horford. That's not going to work against uh, against Milwaukee. They have – there's nobody – neither one of those guys can check uh, at the Kumpo. So what are they going to do about that? And you figure Chris Middleton, you have uh, 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 Robin Lo- – I mean, Brooke Lopez pulling from deep. So that's going to create more space. This – unless something major happens with an injury or something like that, I don't see how Boston can win and do enough to win. So I see them – this being a 4-2 series for Milwaukee, if that. Yeah, I agree. So with that, folks, we're going to take a break. Facebook Live, you're not going anywhere. We just have to switch it up. We'll count it down. But we'll be back to talk about the NFL draft. It's tomorrow. Tick, tick, tick. Welcome back to this section episode of Sports Q&A Podcast. And now we're going to dig right into the NFL draft. That's right. Tomorrow is the NFL draft. And there are lots of draft scenarios to talk about. Who's going to be the number one pick? Who's going to tumble? Who's going to be surprise pick? Will there be a run on quarterbacks? Will there be a run on defensive linemen? Or will some tight ends get picked in the front uh, in the the first round? So with this, we're just going to kind of be free flowing with this. I have some topics. Q has some topics. We're just going to discuss this for this last 30 minutes of the show. Uh, and if it gets real good, folks, guess what? We're going to give you some overtime. But with that, the NFL draft, I think the first thing we need to talk about is take it to the top. The number one pick. Arizona Cardinals are officially on the clock. They have the number one pick. It's been rumored that they will be taking Kyler Murray quarterback, Heisman winning quarterback from Oklahoma, but is that a smokescreen? Q, if you were the GM of the Arizona Cardinals, who would you take? You are on the clock. You have two minutes, Q. Um, is, uh, <laughs> do I have the same coach? Same, same coach. You can't change the coach, brother. You the GM. I'm firing the type, but uh, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> If I, I wouldn't fire the, the coach last year, but that's how it's a conversation. But if I'm the GM and I'm making this decision, 
I'm not taking Murray. Okay. I, I, I have to, I like Josh Rosen last year. I thought he was one of the better prospects and felt he didn't get the just do that he deserved. So if I'm a GM, I got to see that through. So I'm, I have to go with Quinn Williams, the best defensive player, in my opinion, in the draft. I don't quarterback. No, not, not, not this, not this year, not for me. You got so many other holes. And you still have to decide what you're going to do with Rosen if you take Murray. And now you lose all leverage because teams know, oh, they got two quarterbacks. They don't want to give them. They don't want to keep both. So we're going to lowball them and see what they're going to take, see what they're willing to take. I would have to agree with that. I think, um, number one with you, I, I would have never hired Kingsbury. I don't, I don't think there's ever been a situation where – a coach has been unceremoniously let go from a college program and get an NFL job after becoming the offensive coordinator at another college. It's that whole scenario. I never spend the time there. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Something is wrong with Aaron. Aaron will put the number one pick will be running back Al Bundy from Polk High. Um, <laughs> in his mind, he definitely would be. But um, I think the thing is, is that if it, it all depends from the GM's point of view. Is Kingsbury have the king the keys to the kingdom? If so, then he will be able to pick his quarterback. And the quarterback that he has been in had a, a man crush on since he was coaching in college has been Kyler Murray. So with that being the case, he's going to pick that. He's going to pick him, but it's going to be a mistake unless you can trade Josh uh, Rosen prior to. Uh, but I don't think he should do that. Personally, if I was number one, I would take Nick Bosa. I think you need an explosive player to go put somebody in there. Now, granted, I love Quentin Williams. I got a feeling that he's going to tumble for no reason at all, just based on how things fall. Uh, but I just think he was just a, uh, a dominant. But I think Bosa, just the appeal of it. Yeah, he had the injury. But I think the edge rushers have more value, uh, high value, than defensive tackles do. Um, and I think that Arizona needs to find somebody to market and that Bosa brand name right now, because that the thing is, is they're going to say, well, he's going to be the next big coming of, uh, you know, the second coming of his brother. Uh, I think that's going to be something that they can market themselves on. I'm, I'm just, now, oh, go ahead. Now let me ask you this question. Cause something recently has surfaced. Are you scared off by those tweets and those comments that he's made as far as liking certain controversial things on social media. And I ask that because we've seen players and we saw a guy in Lyle Collins from LSU drop out of the draft because there was because he was associated with someone. The person, the a female that he used to date was murdered. He was not and he was not considered a person of interest, but teams were scared off of the association that he had with this case. How is uh, both are not dealing with the same scrutiny based on character issues. It's because of wh where people view his talent level. I think that's where it is. I mean, if he was a, a tweener or people had so many second guesses from him, then it would come into question. I mean, the NFL is is the biggest oxymoronic entity there is. If somebody has talent, they overlook. The, their flaws. If somebody has questionable talent, 
then now it's looked at through a microscope. So people look at what they want to look at, but the NFL has proven time and time again that your your personal issues really don't mean a thing as long as you can be productive. Just take a look. Kareem Hunt showed back in the league real quick, wasn't he? He got this. Right. Is, I mean, that's all I'm saying is it, it is it is what it is. But the NFL has proven that they really don't care about the character flaws. Character flaws can't make you tumble, but at the end of the day, it's not going to avoid you from having an opportunity to excel in the, in the league and get paid off, off of excelling. So speaking of that, uh, uh, going into the next aspect, the battle of the Devons. So you had two speed linebackers and Devin Bush and Devin White. People are kind of torn or where they are around here. People are uh, salivating over both. They don't. They think White won't be available. Think that uh, uh, there's always an issue around here with drafting Michigan players uh, early on because you see them for what they are. But if you had to pick, and both of them are on the clock, who would you pick on your team? And you can pick your uh, team. You can pick your team. So I'm giving you this this scenario of milk and honey right now. I mean, I'm gonna stick with the Lions because that's my team. Okay. Um, but this is the, the fear. It's the fear. And you said it. The fear of familiarity. We, we see, we saw Devin Bush for three years. So we kind of was able to nitpick him, point out his work. Where Devin White is that player, is that unknown commodity that you saw the highlights of him looking great. And it's like, oh, he can't do any wrong. But essentially, they're the same type of player. Some of the same faults and strengths they share. So I'm going to go with the guy that I saw week in, week out, and then uh, that has the potential and has the, the leadership qualities that you look for and has the pedigree that in his, his family upbringing that you probably won't have to worry about the off-field distractions mm-hmm. and the off-field issues because he's a son of a former NFL player, Devin Bush. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is I think you can do a lot of different things with Devin Bush. That speed is unreal. It's truly unreal, uh, the speed that he has and he brings to the game. Um, I can't I can't get mad. I, I couldn't get mad with that pick. I probably would pick him for the familiarity uh, and what he can do and the different things. I mean, you can put him at, at, on the end. You can put him as a safety for blitzing purposes. I mean – there are a lot of different ways that you can do it. And he's a sideline to sideline guy. And he's not afraid to get up in people's faces. And some people, and to me, I like his moxie. And if you if you haven't seen his moxie, just do a, a little YouTube search of, of, uh, of his uh, pregame antics before the Michigan State game. Uh, and, and speaking of that, uh, that right quick, someone had the nerve to try to on uh, Instagram I was, I think, on one of the Michigan football pages. Somebody had the nerve to liken him to Vontez Burfitt because of those patterns. I'm like, are you serious? Because he decided to respond to some issues that took place that Michigan State players and coaches started first. Mm-hmm. Now you're going to call him and associate him with being Vontez Burfitt? Okay. I'm done. <laughs> so it's just interesting how fans comes to certain conclusions and draw conclusions based on stuff that obviously they don't, they're not paying attention to the full story. Yeah. 
Um, again, but people will draw that conclusion they want. I'm waiting to get clarity on this statement in the group where uh, I know a known Buckeye, uh, uh, Christy, uh, one of a uh, fellow thoroughbred, said she's going with Dwayne Haskins at number one. That wouldn't happen with Arizona. Let's, I mean, if Arizona has a number one pick. Now, if another team really wants him, doesn't feel, and ends up in that number one spot, that could happen. To me, I feel that he's the better quarterback. I think that Murray is a system quarterback. And this brings me to my next – the next thing, uh, it happens every year. Sometimes it's character issues. Sometimes it's just where players are, dra- are on the draft board in the war room. Draft value dropping. There's nothing that has occurred. Uh, there's nothing that has occurred uh, football-wise with any of these players except for potential injuries while working out between the end of the season or between now and the combine. But yet, draft stock has fallen. Interviews, personal visits, those things have occurred. That has allowed the, the ebbs and flows. But players that, that seem to be, again, to all reports, Dropping um, to Montez Sweat, uh, Sweat, Sweet, and to again a freakish player, but it's just again those characters. That's the thing. It's the tier of where you are. You mentioned Bosa. Nothing comes to him. Nobody's talking about he's going to drop. Blah blah blah. But then you have Mr. Sweat, and what happens? He's tumbling, fumbling, and falling down, and again. At what cost? Why? It's not really, uh, to, in my opinion, something that should be determined uh, to make him lose the stock. But again, it may motivate him to be a better player in some team. Unfortunately, for the rest of the league, it may be a, a playoff team that may benefit from this. Uh, two others I have on here. Uh, Metcalf, the speed wide receiver who people fall in love with those 40 times. But they look at the production of what he had in college. They look at where you're going to put him, and there's a question mark. And to me, the last one on my list of, of, of value dropping is Murray. And the reason because I have Murray down there, because if he does not get drafted, number one, watch out because he may tumble and fall and just be needing a life alert by the time the first round is over, potentially based on what people have on the board. Because some people may not have it, even rated him or had them on the board for, uh, for on their draft uh, board because of the rumors that Arizona was going to take him. Now, yeah, somebody may jump up, but right now I think I, he, if he doesn't go number one, he could wait for a while. Yes, yeah, I can see that. Um, there, uh, and I made this post, and I was I think I only uh, – Singled it out to character issues, but at the beginning of the week, I was like, let's see this mysterious call into question surface. And like you said, surprisingly, we haven't seen anything come up. The situation with sweat, and, and it's weird, even with this, it's still weird that we're just now hearing about it. Not right after the combine, where he, not after his pro day, but a week, maybe a week and a half before the draft. Now we hear that he has a heart condition. Why is this just now coming out? This, I mean, it, I doubt that they just found out about this condition. I mean, he played, uh, he, he started off, he played high school football, 
He started off at uh, Michigan State, did a couple years of junior college, and made it to uh, Mississippi State and played two years, mm-hmm. not AP. But, I mean, the same thing can happen with uh, Maurice Hurst last year. We're Michigan fans. We never once heard his issues about his heart while he was playing in Michigan. But now all of a sudden, it's surfacing when it comes time for these guys to make their money and go to the next level. It's, it's just ironic and interesting that it always plays out this way. Um, I can see what you, where you're going with the, uh, the Murray situation. I don't think it's going to be one of those circumstances where we had the, the Aaron Rodgers drop. Mm-hmm. I still think he, he still rates higher than Daniel Jones and, and Drew Locke. So in teams like Denver, uh, Miami, and even Cincinnati that we've seen kind of link the quarterbacks, they may take them. Now, let me ask you this, because I, I, I saw this wild card, crazy scenario situation. Mm-hmm. Someone said if he falls there at eight available for the Lions, do they take him? No. They'll trade. They'll, that, that'll be their trade down option. Well, with Washington or Denver, that'll be their option to trade. Uh, it would be very enticing, but with the mindset that they have or the narrative that they have shared with the fans uh, and the media is that they are not in a rebuild. They're in the win now. The, the action that they covered, that they did in free agency lends itself that that is the plan. Drafting the quarterback in the first round, does nothing but convolute that plan. So I don't see it. Now, granted, maybe second, third round? Yeah. But first round, no. Uh, because that creates unnecessary buzz and conversation uh, around that position, and it will be it becomes problematic. Uh, just before we go on there, uh, Christy asked who got invited to the green room. I'm going to go real quick over this list. Josh Allen, uh, DeAndre Baker, Nick Bosa, Marquise Brown, Brian Burns, Devin Bush, Andre Dillard, Noah Fant, Cody Ford, TJ Hawkerson, uh, uh, Josh Jacobs, John, uh, Taylor, excuse me, Daniel Jones, Drew Locke, DK Metcalf, Kyler Murray, Ed Oliver, Montez uh, Sweat, Jawan Taylor, Devin White, Christian Wilkins, Greedy Williams, Jonah Williams, and Quinnen Williams. So those are the inv- invitees. Uh, and just off that list, since I'm gonna add this to our questions. Which out of those people on that list, Q, do you think does not get drafted day one? Hmm. And I'm glad you asked because I was as I heard the names, I started seeing from the body. And one name will shock you because he went from having some top ten aspirations in mm-hmm. a lot of these early mock drafts to just tumbling because of the inability to do something that's very important in his position. That's Greedy Woods. I've seen a couple mocks that had him teetering on that 25-plus range, which means if the right player or the wrong player falls, he could get pushed out. But the person that I really think isn't going to get picked tomorrow, DeAndre Baker, the cornerback from from Georgia. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because Teams are overthinking it. He doesn't fit the the traditional measurables that you try to look for in a cornerback, but 
just from watching a couple interviews, he has that swagger, he has that mindset where he thinks he's the best cornerback out there. And I think whoever does get him, they're going to eventually get a very good player. Now, will it be next year? No. I think he still has some technical things he's going to have to work on. And there are going to be fans that see his struggles next year and say, oh, see, this is why he wasn't a first-round pick. But eventually, he's going to be a guy. And I've said this, and this is why I think the Lions have always shied away from it. Outside of maybe four or five cornerbacks over the past five years, if not five to seven years, most of the first-round cornerbacks have struggled. We mm-hmm. saw um, last year, uh, I cannot think of the dude from, uh, from Cleveland, uh, went to Cleveland from Ohio State. He played well. Um, Marcus Peters had a great rookie year. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, you had a lot of guys that struggled and are still f- trying to find their way as a first through that first contract. Trey Wayne, Darquez Denard, some of those guys. I mean, even going back to D. Milliner, who mm-hmm. I can recall now, I never forget, a lot of Lions fans wanted that year he got drafted. He's, I think he's out of the league now. Yep. So, uh, first-round cornerbacks, unless they're just that special, and I think that's also why Greedy is kind of falling back because you couple his his lack of desire when it comes to tackling in addition to the, the fact that the cornerback position this year, it may not have a bunch of potential all-pros or, or uh, Pro Bowl guys, but they have a bunch of very good guys. You look at... Uh, David Long, you look at the, the cornerbacks from uh, Penn State, you look at, there's a handful of guys that you can say, Lonnie Johnson from Kentucky, mm-hmm. that you can say, oh, these guys have some talent and we can get him in the third round and he can still give us just as much productivity as that guy who we really got in the first round. Yeah, that's true. Um, to me, I'm going to go with Dark Horse, who's not, and I'm going to go with Drew Locke. Um, mm. Of course, I've said it again. I'll say it until I'm blue in the face. When it comes to quarterbacks in the NFL, it is the least talented position in the NFL. Not saying that your quarterback doesn't need talent, but it does not have – the quality of quarterbacks is just not there. I mean, we go over it. That's why the great quarterbacks are the great quarterbacks and legendary because there's such a huge – Achievement gap in there. Um, and I just think that some teams are going to feel that he's going to be available and not necessarily him, but I'm just picking him just because uh, I like Daniel Jones over him. But they, they can get him in the second round. Um, so, you know, I think that, that was to, it's easier for them to tumble if somebody feels that they can still get him. It depends, depends on how the draft flows. Uh, so, Christie is still surprised why Haskins and Campbell, again, her her poisonous nutness is coming out, wondering why these Buckeyes are not being invited. Haskins probably turned it down, knowing he's still the top, he's the top quarterback. He'll go where he goes, fly to that city, whatever, uh, and say, how do you not invite Heisman kind of this? But guys, they probably did invite him, but they have to accept the invite. So some people would rather chill with their family as opposed to going and being on stage. Um, and speaking of Haskins, right quick, mm-hmm. did you see that article that was 
that's been circulating about a reporter that tried to do an interview about his upbringing from New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And his dad completely blocked the situation and had that helicopter parent situation. Oh, yeah. hung uh, up. He hung up on him, didn't he? Yeah, he it's that and a lot of people kind of likened it to the, the Eli Apple situation, his mom, where she he the dad Haskins, the elder Haskins was basically trying to dictate how the story is gonna be told, who he could talk to. Oh, these are incredible sources because I didn't clear them. Well, what are you gonna do when your son gets to the NFL? And you're not in control of who he talks to, or who talks to him, or who writes stories about him. Are you going to always? Are you going to be one of those parents that takes the social media and cry and complain, bitch and moan because oh, you wrote a, a story about my son that called into question his character or his game performance or his lack of this last three or four games? Yeah. So I'm going to put a spin on it. It may be surprising to you. So pre-draft. Everything is about perception. Everything is about perception. And as a father, and whoever, your publicist, whoever, if you can control the spin pre-draft of what gets out there, because just imagine if he told the true story. I don't even know the true story, but he told the true story, and it was just tragic. It was a Donald Goins story, right? That could affect and scare some folks off and affect his draft his draft value and affect uh, basically his paycheck. Now, once he's in the league, he's in there. Now, if his dad is still doing that, then sat on dad. But I'm not going to call dad out on this because being able to control the spin, because at the end of the day, yes, the interviewee and the, and the journalist was looking for a story, trying to create a story going in instead of letting it be revealed to him. They went after that angle and they got denied. But I think it may be a good thing or it could be a good thing for him to control. We don't want that out. That's not the story. We're talking about his, what he does on the field and just nip it in the bud. I think if he said that as opposed to hanging up on him, to me, it has the same effect. But um, it has the same effect, but it's not necessarily doing the same thing. So but I understand. Huh? No, I understand what you're saying. Is no, it? but here's the thing, even with the story, it wasn't anything negative. He had talked to his former football, a couple of different former football coaches, and then he asked his father, the father, okay, if let's collaborate on this. Let's figure, okay, if that's not the story you want me to tell, help me put help me tell me what angle you want me to go. And the father will still, oh no, it's gonna be the way I want it done, or it's not gonna be done at all. So it wasn't as if the Roger was like, okay, we're still going to write this story, or I, I don't need to. He went to the dad to try to confirm everything and make sure everything was on the up and up. And the father was still combative. The father was still just not cooperative. And it's like, okay, why are you being, this isn't a situation where the story got out and now you're trying to backtrack. He, he came to him as a writer. Like, the reporter came to him and said, I know before I write this story, I want to bring it to you so you can see it. So if there is some indis- some indiscrepancies, uh, we can clear them up. And that was like, no, don't you're not even writing this story, period. I don't even care about it. And I think that's where it becomes problematic. Yeah, I mean, I see, I yeah. Your- yeah, no, I'm saying yeah, it could definitely become problematic if it's ongoing. But I can see trying to control the spin and like, no, that's not 
Like, yeah, I understand your story, and it may not be negative, but that's not what we want to talk about pre-draft. To, to me, that's a great pre-draft story if it's volunteered and brought in. It's even greater from an athlete. It's an even greater piece, depending on what the story is. I don't know his story, but depending on what the story is, after the fact, after he's draft, he 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 went to this and became the such and such draft. This is the story, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Like I said, I don't know the story from a from a, a cartoon strip, cartoon strip to, to the New York Times. But the thing is, is that I just this is my thought that hopefully the dad was trying to control the narrative and maybe control what they get, you know, what they put out. Now, of course, he did it in a correct way. You can say what you want to say without hanging up. Uh, but it is what it is. All right, so Q, you are on the clock for uh, 30 seconds. Barring trades, who do the Lions take at number eight? Now, of course, this is random. You don't know who's there, but who would you right. take? Who's your 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 top pick? Um, If the board falls away, everybody, a lot of people are, are saying that it should fall. These are my three considerations. Mm -hmm. Ed, Ed Oliver, mm -hmm. um, Devin Bush, I don't think Devin White's going to be there. And then uh, my test was. Dude. Okay. So, sir, in all seriousness, dude. Like, so we, folks, y'all don't think I'm lying. Now, we never, like, if we, we didn't do a full draft, mock draft like we usually do or had in the past. Q and I are always different in that stuff. I promise you that's my same three. Because I think that <laughs> – and it's not in any particular order because all of those guys are impact guys. Uh, and I think that that's what you need. If you build that up front, allow to get pressure from your front four. Allow your D-backs because you invested some money in D-backs in, in the, in the offseason and you got still got big play slave out there that you will be able to have your, your young linebacker core learn, still be able to make tackle, fly from sideline to sideline, uh, and be a formidable defense uh, in this league. And I think that would take more pressure off of the offense and allow them to go ahead and to be the team that you want them to be. So, folks, you're going to have to stay tuned and see if we're right. Granted, I personally, I do think they're going to trade down and – Still be able to get a defensive tackle because I think I see uh, that one or two going to be tumbling. Um, I would even take a chance if I trade down and get Gary if it's in the 20s, if I trade down twice or something. Uh, but that injury is a little scary, but we shall see. But, folks, you got to make sure that you follow us on Twitter and Instagram, sports underscore QA. Also on Twitter, sports underscore QA underscore preps. Make sure you follow us. Uh, our website, www.sportsqanda.com. Make sure you follow us, articles, everything else. Make sure you follow us on Facebook, uh, Sports Q&A, and also Low L-O-W-E, the letter N in Washington. Uh, and then make sure that you subscribe to our podcast. We're on Anchor. We're on Spotify. We're on uh, I, uh, Apple, Apple Music. Where is it Apple Music or is it Apple iTunes? Whatever Whichever one. So make sure that you check us out. Make sure you follow us. Uh, we're here. I'm really digging this interactive folks. Don't know. We, we switched to the podcast to be able to do this. Uh, but I love the interaction. We've gotten a lot of interaction. So make sure you share this on Facebook Live as well. Uh, subscribe. You can listen to it in the car. Um, but make sure 
you leave comments, you share it. All right, here we go. Our football coach, he's going to get the last 10 seconds. He said, if they trade down, that will hurt them, uh, hurt the Lions in his opinion. Trying to get later draft picks is good if you don't have many holes to fill, but they have too many holes to fill down the draft. So that's the final word that we're going to get. We're getting out of here. Thank you for everybody for listening. Peace.